0: You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry
1: leaders, and be motivated by real life experience.
0: Top Woman. Business Unusual.
1: So welcome to another episode of uh, Business Unusual um, podcast. And today I'm with the HR Director of Microsoft, Jasmine Pele. Jasmine's all the way in Westville in Durban. Um, We're slightly envious. How's it going there, Jasmine?
0: Thank you, Ralph, for having me. And today it's uh, warm a bit overcast, a little bit rainy, but I'm still in a better place than you, so I'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, For sure. We, we, had, we had winter rain this weekend, so everybody was uh, cold in Cape Town, so I don't know how it was up there, but um, so many seasons. So, so how's lock- that lockdown been
0: for you? It's been interesting. And in fact, the reason I'm in, in Durban is because I had decided to, to actually do lockdown at home. So I live between Johannesburg and Durban. But uh, I must be honest, when we first experienced the rules and, and the hard lockdown, if I can call it, it was just different, it was difficult, it was odd. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out how I was going to execute in my role and have impact and support our teams because they were obviously priority and do it. Um, whilst experiencing this myself. So um, the initial months were difficult, very difficult, very strange. I can't say now that it's become part and parcel of normal life, but what I can say is that we've gotten a lot better. I've gotten a lot better at managing my time, my space, and and hopefully making a difference eh, to the teams around us.
1: For sure. I think one of the big observations from this hard lockdown and certainly um, being in South Africa was the it propelled the hr function as to such an, a more influential and impacting role within an organization did, did you find
0: that definitely in fact uh, it's actually quite sad to be honest with you you know this pandemic did two things one it uh triggered companies to move a little faster with their own digital transformation and and the second is it brought to the fore just the importance and and the impact that your human resources teams can have Um, and as I say you know there's always been that opportunity for influence and impact but I think it's just become more glaring over the last few months for certain.
1: For sure and and I mean one of the things that we've sort of and we spoke about a little bit earlier was the, the the how how do organisations who are now going through this transition? Because you've got two transitions. You've almost got this culture transition and this digital disruption, which I suppose for an organisation like Microsoft puts you squarely in the middle of that. But but how does that impact you? As I mean, you've you've won so many awards, Microsoft, as the employer of choice, and not just in South Africa but globally. How does it impact you as an organisation to celebrate the good things that you do as an organisation outside of some of the traditional ways that you would celebrate being an employer of choice?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much in that question, and and the first thing is, you know, we're so grateful, firstly, for any recognition that we get in in any form of award or uh, or feedback. That's the first thing. But I must just say that we're still learning. We're still learning. We we make mistakes all the time, and uh, we're looking to to obviously get better in progress, just in terms of the the transformation and how it's impacted us. So we certainly were not left unscathed, right? I mean, this is something that we're all experiencing for the first time. But we were perhaps better structured and prepared than perhaps some organisations because the you know the work from home, the virtual uh, meetings, conversations, the virtual celebrations, the social conversations, we had the structure and the environment for that. We certainly weren't doing it on the scale that we are now, but we were prepared, um, I suppose, to transition fairly, fairly smoothly. Um, But so, so from an impact perspective, I think we've felt it more in terms of the individual impact based on your own circumstances, but we've been able to weather it a bit better as a collective organization just because of the I suppose the tools and the technology and the culture that we have that enables that.
1: I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, you the whole organisation sort of transformed massively under your new CEO, um, Sacha, internationally, and and many observers thought it was the, the you know that the greatest corporate turnaround ever, um, going from sort of a transactional to a You know um that that transactional sort of business to a subscription-based model how much did that impact you guys because you almost went through a big disruption internally a couple of years ago before this even happened was that did that become part of your culture then
0: to that change completely completely i mean satya was appointed in february 2014 and uh, microsoft is now in its 45th year so at the time let's say 40 early 40s right and and he was the third ceo and when he took over microsoft was a very different business it it had a different reputation it was doing different things its solutions products services were were largely different to to where we are today and You know, we hear this wonderful story from Satya as he talks to us because we have these monthly employee sessions as well and he's told the story so many times that, you know, when he took over Microsoft was considered by all uh, measures and perceptions to be successful, right, it was still financially stable It was still making new products and there was still a, a demand for Microsoft, but He he said that Microsoft at the time had a perspective problem and he prompted the the individuals in across the world to think about what would this world look like without Microsoft in it. And I tell you that's when um, this culture of growth mindset was born. That's when our mission of empowerment was born and it then infiltrated into every part of the business. So the core of Microsoft's culture is our customer obsession diversity, and inclusion, operating as one business, and then using all of this and your collective purpose to to make a difference. And I can tell you, Ralph, that whether you're talking about a product, a service, a solution, a customer conversation, an employee conversation, that culture has filtrated and diffused all across the business. So the impact is massive, especially when you talk to those individuals in the business that have been around, right? through that transition, they, they will tell you wonderful stories of the impact and transformation.
1: It's, it's so interesting because I think w- w- what I'm seeing certainly is a lot of organisations who are getting it right. Even in these difficult times, they seem to be identifying the type of culture that they want, the purpose. But more than that, they've got the discipline to really make sure that they get the right people on board that journey with the organization. And I know that you've you've taken on roles in all parts of HR and I often ask, you know, what what is it? What are the 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 the, the sciences or the, the tools that you use to make sure that you make sure you bring on those right people within Microsoft South Africa?
0: Mm. Look, and I suppose the question could be, what is the right person? I mean seriously yeah. what is the right person you know um so the way we look at it is and again this growth mindset culture is is just a wonderful uh unpeeling of all of our biases and notions and preconceived ideas and at its core what we believe is that every single one of us has potential right and that potential is not predetermined but potential is nurtured so when we engage with individuals to either bring them into Microsoft to grow them within the business. We're constantly searching for what your potential is. Um, We practice inclusive hiring. So if if I happen to be interviewing you for Microsoft, I would be really focused on what do you have rather than what you don't have. And that I think has been such a game changer for Microsoft in, in looking at people's potential. So just from a culture perspective as well, Ralph, we don't look at culture fit. We look at culture ad because we recognize that you've got something special, you've got a gift, you've got something unique, you've got a new perspective, a different perspective, and we want that. So at its core, it would be searching for potential.
1: And, and potential being what, how they can add value to the customer experience to creating a, one Microsoft, is that, is that potential in terms of what their role might be or the bigger picture?
0: So it's a couple of things. So, so certainly... When you come into the business, you bring, you bring your, your upbringing, your background, your experiences, the decisions you've made, the lessons you've learned. I mean, just think about 7 billion people on the planet and Mm -hmm. each with different experiences and you're coming into this community and you're bringing all of that. So you immediately get diversity of thought and diversity of perspective. And when you get that, then you're able to get innovation in products and solutions because now you're tapping into a perspective that you perhaps don't have. And just take about, you know, look at your uh, sector in terms of persons with disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that perspective, you may not cater to that part of the population. And there's one billion, the number is one billion across the world persons with with disabilities so that potential is about what you can bring your thinking your innovation you whatever you may be and and also your purpose you know Satya says something very interesting when he um was talking about transforming our culture and he spoke about finding and amplifying your purpose. Purpose is very important at Microsoft, and he encouraged us to use Microsoft as a platform to amplify our purpose. So if you just take all of these little things that I've mentioned now and you think about the universal person, there's so much more to an individual than saying, okay, what is the right person?
1: And, I mean, these are really (laughs) deep uh, thoughts. One of them you you mentioned, though, is that, you, you feel even if someone's not showing a growth mindset, they can learn it. Are there tools? So some might have the skills, they might have the background, but they might not be using their growth mindset currently. Do, do you have tools that you sort of implement or? Because often we think about people and I think, oh, no, then <laughs> they don't have a growth mindset. And I, and, I'm, and I might in certain situations actually write them off. Um, what you, what but what you're saying is no. That's that. That these things can be learned. These people can actually acquire these skills to become create a growth mindset.
0: Of course they can. Of course they can. And I would I would encourage you. Right? Just just uh, I'm going to turn the tables on you for just a second. I mean, think back to a time when you either acted in a way that offended someone, hurt someone, wasn't actually. Uh, uh, Kind, even, let's just say, right? And perhaps you had a coaching conversation or a mentoring conversation where somebody said, Rob, listen, buddy, you made me uncomfortable. I didn't really like the way you spoke to me, whatever the case may be. And then what you did was you learned from that experience, right? And you carried forward that learning. Now, can you imagine if somebody wrote you off, somebody wrote you off because uh, you behaved badly once in your time, according to them? So, to answer your question, we absolutely believe that a growth mindset can be learned, and we we you know have put together or identified rather as a better word what we call inclusive capabilities so, I want to try and bring this to to the simple because my favorite saying is let's talk about the how how does it happen so We have three inclusive capabilities at Microsoft. The first is practicing awareness. The second is exercising curiosity and the third is demonstrating courage. So when you talk about a growth mindset, how does it show up? I can say to you Ralph, okay, in terms of practicing awareness. I would love to have a conversation with you about examining your assumptions. If you met me for the first time and you thought something in your mind about me. And let's just say that that first reaction wasn't great. A growth mindset teaches, examine your own uh, assumptions. Why do you have a strong reaction to that person? Seek input, have a conversation so you can absolutely learn. Because what I've just told you now is can be counted as a coaching conversation. right? And, and, I
1: mean, are you seeing coaching and mentorship as critical to all organisations? I know that you do a lot of mentorship.
0: It is. Ralph, you know what it is. It's, it's actually critical not only to an organisation. It's critical to life. I mean, think about, you know, whether you have a child, a sibling, a spouse, you, you've got to engage in conversations to either get your point across or to influence or to just hear the other person out. So I think we sometimes make the mistake by thinking that coaching and mentoring is reserved for the corporate environment. It certainly isn't. But but to answer your question as it relates to the work environment, it's absolutely critical. Our manager community are pivotal, pivotal in nurturing the culture that we want and role modeling the behaviors that we uh, require in order for our growth mindset culture to flourish
1: yeah i I, th- I think that if i look at myself where i've had a coach he- either s- through sport or business it's definitely helped me focus and i think i get more done quicker um, and it makes life a little bit more enjoyable so i'm i'm a i'm a true believer you mentioned another thing you said exercising curiosity which i thought yes. was really great because i remember being very curious as a young kid and and probably very much still And I'd imagine that comes with that's linked to your purpose and your passions, right? So you would see someone's curiosity where they've got an interest in something.
0: Yeah, and and it's as much about being interested in someone as something. I mean, I recognize this in myself. You know, as I was going through this journey of growth mindset, I myself went through my own personal transformation. I mean, as human beings, Ralph, we we do, right? We have a natural urge to quickly judge other people's ideas or their perspectives, um, especially when it's new, especially when it's something new, something we haven't seen before, something we, we haven't heard before. And what we encourage our teams to do is, is really about keeping an open mind, exercising empathy, really actively listening and being interested in what the other person has to say, you know, from their point of view, rather than from our own. And it's not easy. It's very difficult because, You know, I have, you and I have your conversation now, right? But I may have had an awful day yesterday. I may have had an argument with somebody in my family, or I may have had a a car accident. I mean, I'm giving you just silly examples, but you never know what an individual has carried in or brought into that conversation. So it's not necessarily just what you see in front of you. So you carry those feelings and those experiences from the day before, the week before, the warning. And this is why when you're engaging someone, you've got to continuously practice and work on your own awareness and be curious to see things from their perspective. And that's hard and parcel of, of role modeling values as well.
1: I think it's probably some of the hardest things of being a leader is 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 maybe <laughs> stop worrying about yourself and to focus more on the team. And 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 would you say that's the main focus of HR or do you think that, that the focus of HR is shifting quite a bit now with COVID?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, uh I don't want to to criticize the human resources function too much because everything at some point that d- does not work at some point was innovation and worked, right? So from the early, early days of just being payroll, personnel, transactional, um, the function has really, really shifted to being business partners, real, true business partners. and And the value from human resources comes in that business partnering, in those strategic conversations in terms of how do we design the organization? How do we get the best out of our people? How do we create an engaging environment? Or, or rather the word is how do we enable? How do we enable with our leaders and with our teams? And and I think there's also a misconception that um, it's just about the leadership team and, and it's not right. So when you think about let's just take diversity and inclusion as one is one example. One person doesn't own it. The CEO doesn't own it. You've got different levels of accountability in the organization, but every single one of us own it. Um, And this is why you see, you know, if, if there's behaviors that are perhaps not aligned to your culture at any level in the organization, it has the potential to erode. Then you partner with your human resources teams and you now look at, what are the interventions, the programmatic approaches, the coaching, the mentoring, the candid conversations? Or how do we help partner with our managers to equip them to have the difficult conversations? So I think it is the most exciting time to be in human resources. Just the impact that one can have right now is is incredible.
1: I mean, at the moment we're seeing the states they have a new vice president, woman, for the first time ever. Are you, and, and we're seeing this sort of shift um, globally. W- one of the things that interests me though is, is that I, I get a sense that South Africa is quite advanced in terms of diversity and inclusion. Are you seeing that? I, I mean, you've worked internationally. You, you have a lot of international counterparts. Are we leading the way? Are we uh, at the top of our game? Where, where is South Africa? in this journey?
0: Yeah, this, this is an interesting question. And, you know, I read quite a bit in terms of best practices, good practices, new innovation, and and to be honest, all I can offer you today, Ralph, is, is my own opinion. And I see different organizations and different individuals leading in different ways for different things. So I wouldn't necessarily, um, blanket South Africa as a whole or blanket one company. But what I will tell you is this, I think that we are, we have learned as a country, we have learned to become more aware, more aware of our own behaviors, more aware of our own exclusion. I think that we have put in place policies and practices to absolutely activate um, gender and race uh, access to opportunities. I think from that perspective, we've, we've done very, very well. There are many uh, organizations that I've partnered with over the years, even from a consulting perspective that have not seen that level of um, detail in terms of how we're going to create access to opportunities. So, so from that perspective, I think we're doing very, very well. But what I would love to see, not just an essay, but, but generally, globally is once you have the policy and the practice in place, you know, the, this is what we need to do. The um, adoption of that is is where I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done.
1: So when you say adoption, what, what, what do you mean by that?
0: So, you know, I don't know if a company, I suppose it depends on their maturity, right? That, that doesn't have some sort of intent in terms of transformation Or or diversity in whatever is important for that particular country or company, but where I see, you know, opportunity for improvement is the practice of it is the practice Mm -hmm. of it. So if we're talking about let's take early in Korea. Right. So this is another form of diversity. It's not necessarily gender, but it's generational diversity. And we know yeah. that we've got to start giving opportunities to our younger generation because they will obviously start leading companies and organizations and countries in the future. And if you don't have a mechanism or a culture or an environment that facilitates your experienced hires partnering with your early in career, that development is going to be stunted. It. It, it will not maximize it or blossom in the way that it should have. So um, we have targets, we absolutely have targets. We absolutely have aspirations and we we always aim to go over. But just as important as identifying where you want to go is to say, okay, how is, it, how is it going to get there? Jasmine, what is the behavior we need to see from you in order to develop early in career? Jasmine, what is the behavior we need to see from you to support gender diversity or whatever diversity or aspirations you're looking for. That's how. Ralph, the how is important.
1: So, I mean, I I often look at these initiatives and I I think a lot of people are doing some great great things and they're getting good results. But for me, the ultimate is the measurement. Are you measuring what you're doing? Because that way you can improve and almost scale and share with other organisations as well. Do you find that that's... An important part for you, because that for me is also the hardest part, right, (laughs) is to measure. Yeah. um, How do you measure that? You know, you can have targets, but how do you actually measure it? Because it's a journey. It's not it's not a destination. These things take time to get going.
0: You've you've asked the million dollar question and and let me answer it in this way, you know, Microsoft is is a massive organization. We're about 151,000 people globally across over 190 global locations and yet this organization is pretty agile Um, and one of the reasons it's agile is because of that culture piece I spoke to you about early early on in the conversation where we operate as When you think about diversity and inclusion as an example, we have our what we call our one Microsoft diversity and inclusion plan. So anywhere in the world that you go, any Microsoft country or company, there's four things we focus on. The first is we want to transform our culture. The second is and and that talks about infusing your your inclusion in your day-to-day experience right so that's what transform your culture means the second one is empowering our people and this talks about designing inclusive and equitable opportunities so that you can accelerate your your inclusive workforce the third piece is expanding our talent pipeline and here we talk about investing in meaningful and innovative engagement with future talent and the last it happens to be the fourth one, but certainly not last. is, is delighting <laughs> our customers, right? Um, yeah. And this is about understanding what, it, what does it mean? What does the core DNI industry shifts mean? And how do we facilitate the exchange of ideas and practices? But how does it translate and how do we measure? So I'm just going to use one example. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be talking to you for 10 hours. The culture piece right so we've we look at our culture piece in a couple of areas the first is you have the entire employee base the second is you have your people manager community and then you have your senior leadership and then of course you have the the HR community so when we're looking at the entire employee base we we talk about those behaviors and those values that I spoke about earlier you know um, as mm. one example demonstrating courage could be ensuring that all voices are heard. So let's imagine that you and I in a group in a meeting virtual or physical doesn't matter There's about 10 people in the meeting. And let's just assume that you and I are a bit more bolder and a bit more louder. So we're perhaps more confident in making the space for ourselves to speak right. Um, somebody who may be conservative but perhaps not as bold may not step forward, but their voice is so important. I I spoke earlier about the business vectors, right? Now, it takes someone in that meeting to be brave and courageous to say, hey, um, I have not heard your voice. Do you have something to contribute? So that is how a behavior translates on the ground. Microsoft have transformed our performance philosophy. Um, So the way we assess impact for our people covers a whole lot of things, right? From your individual priorities to your behaviors, our values, our culture, our leadership principles. So if I'm having a performance conversation with with my manager, she's able to gain perspectives from individuals in my team or outside of my team that I've engaged with to understand how have I shown up in respect of this Microsoft values. So I'm giving you this example because it's the harder one, right, mm. it's the measurement of the behavior. The easier ones would be to say, this is your, diversity target your gender target it's a hard number numbers yeah. are much easier to measure but just to give you a glimpse uh, this is this is some of the things we're doing on the ground to measure because you can you can measure impact
1: mm. I mean you're right I mean it's, it's great to listen to you to get these ideas because I think it's about that it's about people know possibly what to do but like you mentioned before it's the house so I like I need some inspiration I need some <laughs> ideas of how I can implement these things to make it happen. So one of the things that we do is we use like scrums in the morning with our team, where they talk for 30 seconds to a minute about what they achieved for the day. So it almost en- encourages everybody to definitely talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and talk about their stucks. And so yeah. that agile culture drives in this, you know, inclusivity part of it, I suppose, to a large degree.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: So, so, I mean, you mentioned the performance part of things when people are having their performance criteria, and I get the feeling, certainly from our organisation and from a lot of others, that performance criteria, KPIs, those sorts of things are very hard to measure at the moment, a lot harder to measure, and they're they're adapting. What, What are you using as indicators to help do that? I know it's like a shared value sort of process,
0: Yeah, so let me start by saying this right that uh, when Microsoft underwent its culture transformation, one of the things it also recognized was that in order to operate as one Microsoft, it needed to collaborate, it needed its teams to collaborate and just as general human beings and, and there's tons of research on this right human beings are not naturally akin to just sharing and giving and doing and collaborating. It's I, I don't know why, but these are human beings, right? There's obviously exceptions to that, but largely collaboration is a challenge. And if you, you know, speak to human resources practitioners or leaders, they will tell you that, you know, one of the biggest challenges in in successful teams is, is collaboration. So the first thing we did as part of that uh, cultural transformation was to make some systemic changes because it's all very well to say, this is our culture these are values, this is our mission, let's go ahead and let's start behaving in line with that. It doesn't necessarily work, so we fundamentally made some systemic changes. So the performance uh, philosophy was one where at its core, I am measured on the impact of my individual priorities, which would include KPIs, as you've mentioned. The second is I measured on the impact of me contributing to the success of others, as well as me leveraging what is the impact of me leveraging the work of others and now this talks to collaboration orchestration teaming for success so we don't have individual heroes um in the organization and that has made a huge difference it's made a huge difference to the culture of collaboration and also just liking collaboration you know wanting to engage with with each other and and certainly Ralph with the impact of COVID. um I personally don't think that there's an organization that hasn't considered adjusting its performance philosophies and approaches because it's just so necessary to do so.
1: Yeah, for sure. I was speaking to my son last night. He's, he's 21, but he's, he's quite outgoing. And we we're talking about COVID and the lockdown and some of the good things, but he is very much of a social person and he was saying how he enjoys seeing his friends now and going out as a young 21 year old you, you, you can't blame him yeah. and I often think there's a lot of organizations who are saying it's okay to work from home and there's some who's saying no no let's get back to work and there seems to be a little bit of debate around it but it also seems to me that more of the outgoing people suffer the most with challenges around how to fit in in the lockdown and working in isolation have you found that?
0: Yeah, and I've got three of these youngsters in my house. I mean, I've got two <laughs> daughters, and one's twenty nine, twenty seven, twenty five, and they come from uh, this, this I suppose, generation where the social element is so important, you know, and and they felt it. Certainly, they felt it. I, on the other hand, I'm a more for conservative personality, so I, I did feel it, but in different ways. Um, but yeah, you know. We're, I had a conversation this morning with one of our employees just before the call with you and we were talking, we were just doing a check-in, right, and she was telling me about her, her son, she's got two and they uh, are back at school, so obviously they were under lockdown and did learning from home and eventually went back, but she said what was so interesting is that both her children are so different, one is, can get on, on with it and he sort of took to this online learning like a fish to water, but the other was just not in his element because he's one of those individuals that needed to engage and needed the, the physical, you know, uh, the in-person engagements. And it made such a difference. But I, I just think that, you know, the approach that we're taking at the moment, and Ralph, I hope I'm answering your question, is we're going to absolutely be a hybrid organization. This is Microsoft. I can, I can only speak in terms of my own view. Uh, work from home, I think, will always be here to stay. The extent of it will depend on the appetite and the maturity of an organization. And and certainly there are those that, that need to go into the office. And I miss our teams. I miss our teams. I miss our employees. I miss having breakfast with them, a coffee, or having that chat because there's so much more you can gain. So there's absolutely that part. But I'll tell you something interesting. Prior to COVID, Microsoft's head office is in Johannesburg, we only, cater for one-third of the workforce anyway, physically in the office. So I think it's here to stay, for sure.
1: And uh, it's interesting you say that hybrid, because we've also employed a hybrid. For some people, they work from home, and for a lot of others, they love coming to the office. And it just seems to (laughs) work. It's also, it feels like all the rules that we used to have, when you come to work, don't be late, all those sort of things, all those (laughs) things that we focused on, punitive, actually, have gone out the window and just generally our staff seem to be so much happier when you're focused on the different elements. I don't know if, if that's a maturing of our organisation or or if it's something you're seeing generally.
0: Look, well, the first thing is still don't be late because if you have a virtual meeting, you still need to be on well, time,
1: right? <laughs> they're not late for that because they can always be part of it. But but
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. I- I I think you're right. I I think it's absolutely goes to the maturing of organizations we've you know Microsoft have been in quite a privileged position where we've been asked by our customers to come and engage with them and share a little bit of our story and what's worked and what's not worked and some of the lessons, especially in terms of this changing environment and what are you doing for your teams and uh, how you addressing certain things And, and certainly many organizations are maturing. To use your words in terms of how they think about remote work i also see i'm seeing a change in companies thinking about impact right so am i more interested in your impact or am i more interested in how you give me the impact now i must caveat this by saying your values your behaviors your ethics your compliance all of that is the how and it's absolutely critical but if i need because i've got I happen to have two small kids at home. I need my morning if I need from 8 to 11 because I've got to get them onto on online school. Um, hey, then, then do what you need to do, you know. And, and this is why instead of saying this is the absolute for Microsoft policy, this is now the new rule. What we're trying to do, Ralph, is to give you the tools and the environment so that you can design what works for you because not two people are the same. But to your point, it depends on the maturity of the organization.
1: And what we're seeing as well is also the maturity of the the people that work within an organisation. It's, it's, it's a both-way, it's a two-way street now. But when, when, we, when we did the future of HR, I spoke to the HR director at Unilever and they were saying that, when we, this is back in September, but they said for the last six months they have outperformed all their productivity measurements during covid so while people have been working remotely, they've actually exceeded all their targets,
0: which I thought was
1: was phenomenal. And I wonder how many other organizations are seeing an increase in productivity or, or, or should I say performance because people feel maybe more empowered.
0: I, th- I think, firstly, congratulations to Unilever. I mean, that that's fantastic, right? And that talks to culture, it talks to agility, which is incredible. Um, We saw something very similar at Microsoft in in April this year, Satya um, did the earnings, the quarterly earnings call with, with Wall Street and during that particular call, it's actually widely available on the web if you want to have a look. And he spoke about two years' worth, we saw two years' worth of digital transformation in two months. So just from a Microsoft perspective, there's been a huge need from our customer base. And as it draws on our customer base, it draws on Microsoft as well. So productivity certainly, certainly has gone up. And and I would imagine that wellness has been impacted uh, as well. Um, this is just in my own experience and my, my humble opinion, but there's certainly Certainly without doubt companies that have thrived uh, during this awful pandemic and uh, you know gotten gotten this this formula right for them which is fantastic
1: so when you say wellness has shifted as well are you saying up or down
0: well again you know what does up or down mean you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, I would say that it's it's shifted it's shifted because if uh, individuals who perhaps, had a certain style of working that worked for them. Now with the uh, work from home and everything, you know, becoming a little bit upside down, perhaps it doesn't work for them. So they need to rethink, you know, their style and their rhythm has been interrupted and, and not all individuals can adjust quickly. Um, it's also, I don't know why I, I yet to find an answer for this. I'm guilty of it myself and I, I need to find an answer. I get up really early and Depending on the time zone, I sometimes can take a call at 6.30 in the morning or 7. Nobody's forcing me, nobody's asking me, Mm. but I would accept certain things. And then I start to think, um, because I don't have younger kids, I perhaps can give a little more stretch hours, right, Mm. to to my work. So I don't need as as many interventions. But the stress, the strain, the anxiety, the time, Mm. this being in front of your computer, the strain on Mm. your eyes, the effect on your back, on your posture, the effect on relationships. I mean, I would love to know we have these conversations with our own teams. You're in your house with all of your family. How often do you actually take the time to go and have a quality conversation? Because just being in the house on your work laptop doesn't mean you're having family time. So it, it means so many things. Wellness means so many things.
1: And I suppose mental health as well. I mean, for the first time, I was able to say if I had a bad day as a CEO, which I possibly couldn't do before. <laughs> but also, maybe I was under just as much stress before, but but I but I was maybe more aware of it was the one side of things. Um, but we, I mean, there's no two ways about it as an organization we had to digitally transform like you said and you know i say within six months we had to transform five years you know you say two months two years so what we had to learn in that period was abnormal to anything else any of us had ever to cope with ever before so you can expect there was a level of uncertainty unease and um complications that come with that
0: for sure for absolute certain, we we have you know uh, I, I think the other thing that's important is not to guess right. We we have many many touch points with our employees, one on one, small groups, large groups, uh, wellness conversations, because we're really interested in understanding what's working, what's hurting, what can we do, what can we pause, uh, what can we stop, what should we stop, what should we start. You know, it's all of these questions, and and we we don't assume that we know everything. So we use data. We use workplace intelligence, workplace analytics, my analytics, a lot of data that actually gives you the trends in your organization. So you can see where the pain points are, you know, you can even go as far as to see. um, And this is all wide data. So it's de identified, right? The only time you get personalized data is the one that comes to you alone. So what I'm talking about is organization-wide de-identified workplace analytics that can give you the trend of your organization in terms of, you know, what percentage of your organization are working after hours or weekends. And this can give you an idea of where stress and strain is or fatigue is in the system. But I, I think you're right, you know, much of it has become just more of an acute awareness of some of the stresses that perhaps were there and maybe just became uncovered because of the pressures of this, this pandemic and, and then having to adjust everything that we know, you know, from how you talk to people, to how you study, to how you have a conversation with your spouse. And you're now with your family 24 seven, which I'm not saying is not healthy, but I mean, you've got to have me time, her time, them time. So it's it's abnormal in, in so many different ways. I think abnormal, we need a new word. Abnormal is not good enough anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, what is the new normal? I mean I don't know. <laughs> it, it, that's that's the, the what does the organization of the future look like? Well certainly it's hybrid, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and and I suppose one of the other things is we're seeing that mental health is now something up top and we've got a like I was saying, a masterclass tomorrow with some professors to talk around it and how it's impacting people and how it's actually so prevalent in people starting from as young as 30 to 40. And they reckon that about 45% of the population is affected at some stage or another with mental health issues. And so even speaking like Paddy Upton, I think the reality is that we're all in that uncertainty. And the idea is so it doesn't cascade down from you know, acute to chronic. How how organizations like Microsoft, because I mean, it is the hardest thing, I mean, just to know yourself and be observant about yourself that you feel you're in, a, in a downward spiral. I mean, you're saying some of the DIs that you have, are there other indicators and and how does an organization like Microsoft deal with that? I mean, you've got some of the most top performing employees that are used to very high standards. Um, how, how do you. You know assist those those people within your team with that
0: yeah that that's such an important question and and we try and do a few things right so i think the first is let's not underestimate the power of an intimate conversation and this is why we invest quite heavily in our manager community so that they're able to have check-ins and uh, you know have conversations with employees to understand you know how's it going What's working? What's not working? What help do you need? How can I lean in? What can we pull away? So those conversations are so important because typically Ralph, when someone has a chat with you and they ask you, what's on your mind, you say something, but typically it's the second thing that is, that is the one under the surface that's really troubling you. So the manager conversations are very important. The other thing that we've done, and I think quite well, I'm so proud of this organization is, We believe in education and information, and we have made a host of education available, not just in terms of the pandemic itself, but in terms of physical, emotional, uh, mental wellness. What are the signs? What what are the triggers? What to look out for? How does it show up? So the first thing is being aware. You you, you need to Mm -hmm. identify something before you are able to do something about it. And then the third piece is bridging the gap. We have increased... Our free counseling sessions across the globe to every single Microsoft employee and their family, by the way, and family doesn't necessarily mean traditional family. So we mm. recognise same-sex partners, surrogate, adoptive. So the construct of what a traditional family used to be does not exist at Microsoft, and and that is extended to the whole family. We have also, you know, made available um, access to psychologists, counselors. We've introduced a not introduced, we've actually enriched our Be Well initiatives where you can go and partner with your teams in terms of, uh, you know, exercise, you you may not physically be able to run a walk with them, but you partner to keep each other motivated and, you know, get some exercise in and we've, we've made it fun, we've gamified it. So those would be the three things is having the conversation, creating the education and then bridging the gap in terms of those interventions where you can provide a little more extra support.
1: Wow. I've got some ideas there. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, you welcome. And, and then some, an observation that I often see is that South Africans generally do exceptionally well internationally in terms of, you uh, Musk is obviously the ultimate example. But, I mean, you, you, you see that South Africans, the stories of them thriving in international organisations. And so, you know, I suppose the first question is, are you seeing that? Do you see a difference working internationally and, and coming back to South Africa? Do you see a difference with South African performance versus the rest of the world? Are you seeing it in Microsoft itself?
0: I'm, I'm going to ask answer that in, in two parts, in a Microsoft and a non-Microsoft way. So I've only been part of Microsoft for two years. So let me just start with the pre-Microsoft days. Um, I think largely... Ralph, my experience has been that South Africans are just so resilient and the work ethic is just phenomenal. So, through my own experience and my own observations. I've just seen South Africans thrive and push the boundaries on innovation. And, you know, there's just something so special uh, about us as a country. Um, so absolutely, yes. In, in Microsoft, I absolutely see the same thing. But I must just say that because of the culture and the ethos at Microsoft, we, we see the same type of output, mm. impact, uh, you know, over race, gender, nationality, ethnicity. Mm. Um, we partner, th- thank heavens, the way the country, the, the company is structured, you can work with so many different kinds of people. And mm. I take full advantage of that. And I've seen that same resilience, tenacity, perseverance, culture, care, um, uh, mm. across the board. It, we, somebody said to me the other day, um, we have not stopped hiring through the pandemic. We, we have continued to prioritize a certain hiring and many of our new hires, shame, you know, have come into the business and are doing virtual onboarding. So many of them have not even yet physically stepped into the office in South <laughs> Africa, but they said something so interesting to me in that um, just the construct of the environment has made such a difference. So whilst they're missing that piece in terms of the physical um, they still see the support of the Microsoft team and the Microsoft team is not just in South Africa it's outside so that's been my experience
1: I was going to ask you this because I know that there's a number of organizations who are doing some great things, but they might have they, they may have actually brought their team down a little bit because of you know, the economy is shrinking and so Typically, you'd look at an employer of choice and you'd say, oh, they're recruiting, they're growing. And that's just not the case with so many employers at the moment. But there's still good places to work. But how would you how would you define and I mean, if you were a judge on a judging panel, they're looking for great, great. great because I think people also I think the other thing is this: people are scared of the recognition, or they're scared that the one part is going to say, "Well, we retrench some people," so we we're a little bit skeptical to position ourselves as an employer of choice.
0: Yeah, I mean, look um, again when you have a chance, you, you'll find it on on the web. You know, when Microsoft became a trillion dollar company, Satya said publicly, "I quote that he would be disgusted if." employees start talking about Microsoft as a trillion-dollar company and there's a reason for that. When we think about being an employee of choice and what is our legacy and what do we want to be known for, the first thing is we absolutely want to be known for our mission, which is a mission of empowerment, empowering every person, every organization to achieve more. But what makes an employer of choice? It's, it is who you are, how you do things, the care, the engagement, um, I'm not that naive to think that, you know, obviously the the bottom line doesn't matter because you do need uh, financial resources to run and sustain a successful business. But that is a byproduct of having the right culture and the right people and the right ethos. So, so for me, um, it's actually so sad to see some of the uh you know these long-standing brands that here have been impacted by COVID, and yes to ensure sustainability because what's better than a company closing down altogether? it's what's better is they're making some adjustments so that they can survive and so contribute to the economy and survive this 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 mm-hmm. awful time that we're in and then get to a point where they can you know push the boundaries again and, and obviously start hiring so it's a difficult time, Ralph, you know, leaders and, and and business where they've got to make these decisions. My heart goes out to them because it's not easy. It's mm. not easy to make difficult choices um, and uncomfortable choices. And then at the same time, you're still proud of who you are as an organization. And and I think that, you know, these companies who have made tough decisions and, and we're certainly not excluded, right? Um, mm. It's very, very difficult. And I, I take my hat off to them because you have to act in a certain way that you can live with and then you've got to act in a certain way that aligns to your values personally and with the company. And then at the same time, you've got to still be an ambassador of your brand because you need your organization to thrive and survive. It's a very difficult situation.
1: For sure. And some people are doing it really well, by the way. Um, I think finally, because I know that we, you know, you've got a busy schedule and, and, I often think about not just South Africa, but the opportunities of technology in Africa. We've got Africa Tech Week at the end of this month. And I suppose, you know, we, we, we saw a big shift where technologies and organizations were looking to help Africa. And what we're seeing is a new shift where, where possibilities of Africa actually transforming the world. And you can see it with the things like the PESO system. You know, there's, there's so many innovations from Africa and from South Africa and we thought it was a great opportunity. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing an improvement, an explosion of tech-based companies and and technology having a bigger impact in Africa?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean um, firstly I think it's not just tech. If I look at multiple industries and certainly those that I've been a part of, Africa has certainly been a focus and it certainly has been a contributor. Um, if I think about the investment in skill, as well as the skills that are being exported from Africa, um, where they further develop a future opportunity, most certainly it's 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 part and parcel of future development and and certainly where the opportunities lay we've also you know invested quite heavily if you look at our Africa initiatives if you look at our data centers that we've established as well there's a huge focus on Africa and and I think that (laughs) this is going maybe to sound odd but you know when I look at the culture of Africa in, in all its glory with all its diversity and all of its colors and all of its uh wonderfulness for me that's what makes it extra special it's not just about the economies or the gdps or uh all of the numbers that you know individuals sometimes tend to look at it's 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 something more than that and i think this is why africa is so poised to be a place of the future and i think my parting comment on this will be there's so many hidden gems ralph uh, in terms of the infrastructure opportunities the uh technical capability, the skills capability, the wonderful opportunities to develop people um, are immense across Africa. And we're seeing we're seeing some of that come through digital as an example is something we've launched in South Africa, where we're focusing on developing tech skills or tech for good AI for good as well. Um, Yeah, in short, I mean, I think it's it's probably where the future is right in terms of development and focus and investment.
1: And, and how do we get those girls coming through with those math science skills to take on these technology opportunities as well? It's a, a big focus, right?
0: Yeah, you have to invest. I mean, you, you have to invest. And tech is also one of those industries where you need investment. It's, it's new-ish, if I can say that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means it needs a lot more investment, a lot more time, a lot more focus, a lot, a lot more deliberation. Um, you need a lot more partnerships with your ecosystem in terms of access and opportunity when we think about education so it's all very well saying yes we need you know focus on stem what does it mean what does it mean how does it show up if you Mm. want someone to develop an interest in technology at least i mean how do they do that without setting eyes on a pc or a laptop with some sort of technology and this Mm. is what digital does we work with um, uh, high school learners um and we we uh partner with them to firstly give them access to understanding what is this world about we give them hands-on experience with the actual hardware and software we even take them through design thinking and we run hackathons Hackathon is a good thing by the way um where you have innovation and ingenuity coming out so the point that i'm trying to make is we have to invest companies have to take their funds and invest it where it's needed and that's when you start to see the return on investment in terms of education, output, skilling, reskilling, employment, and of course access to opportunities.
1: I mean there's so many opportunities. What we're also seeing is there's a there's a big brain drain as well coming from South Africa with the economy, with some of the uncertainty with COVID. How do we how do we I don't know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Look I'll I'll tell you something. Um, I I must use this opportunity. Um, Lillian Barnard is our managing director at Microsoft South Africa. And, uh, you know, she she constantly talks about the investment in skills, genuine, genuine investment in skills, and it starts In your own house, you know, they say charity begins at home. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we can do is to start supporting those employees that we have within our organizations by giving them opportunity. Just because you've hired someone doesn't necessarily mean that they've got opportunity, you still have to give them access. That's the first piece. The second piece is those that are outside of the organization. may have it a lot harder because of their personal socio circumstances, which means, as I've just said, companies need to come to the fore and invest, really, really commit, and not one sort of sustainability is what we're talking about, right? Programmatic approaches that can outlast me, outlast you, and make make a difference in people's lives. And the other piece is, um, I don't look at it as brain drain. I look at it as skills, exporting. Uh, You know brain drain has a sort of a negative connotation to it like everything's left and you know South Africa has nothing left or Africa has nothing left and we've experienced otherwise we have seen the wonderful opportunities for potential. So again Ralph the only thing I can say is that the ecosystem has to play a role Microsoft has launched a global skilling initiative of which South Africa is one of the countries selected to participate and in partnership with LinkedIn and GitHub, we're offering free learning um, and discounted exams for those individuals who would ordinarily not have access. And this is our commitment um, to building skills. So you can't do it alone. And what we've done is we've engaged many of our partners and many of our customers to say, come on board, let's mm. go and do something about scaling our communities.
1: I think one of the benefits of having a multinational like Microsoft in South Africa and Africa is it really does get us to think differently and um, take on these challenges in a, in a more collaborative way. So it was amazing to speak to you. I think Microsoft as an organization is really leading in so many ways. Um, and, it, and I think looking at what you're doing can really help and, and unify and bring this collaboration of industries together. So I really appreciate your time. It was lovely catching up. Um, yeah.
0: Now, Ralph, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. And, you know, the topics are so close to my heart and to Microsoft's heart. So thank you. Thank you for the time.
1: Pleasure. And we're going to invite you to the future of HR next year for sure. So um, look out for that invitation. But um, I'd love it, to. Was, it was lovely catching up. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Take care, Ralph. Stay safe.
1: Bye.
0: Cheers.